This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Please uh, join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we can approach you this morning in prayer. What a privilege this is. Lord, you are God who hears our prayers because you love and care for us. Lord, your word says that at one time we were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thank you that we are one in Christ and reconciled to God through the cross. Lord, for this truth, we are indeed thankful. What a privilege it is to to stand before your presence today forgiven and reconciled. Heavenly Father, we pray, I pray for the health concerns of our congregation today. Lord, you know the brothers and sisters that would long to be with us this morning in person but cannot due to health reasons. Lord, we pray for those that are joining us online today. Bless each and every one of them. Lord, I pray for our world. We um, we think particularly today of the conflict in the Middle East. Lord, I just pray for your hand upon the situation. Lord, won't you turn people to Jesus. May they cling to you as the only hope in this world. And we beg you today. Lord, I pray for our missionaries. We, I think particularly today of Ryan and Ashley Kreutzer one of our own. Lord, pray for them as they have started this new academic year. Thank you for their vision and their their passion for reaching students, unreached students in the world. Lord, we also commit their family to you and their children at this time, be particularly near to them. May we encourage and bless them. Lord, I pray for our church now. Keep us true to your word. Make us a praying church, a church that trusts in you and relies on you for all things. Keep us united. And Lord, thank you for the work that you've done in our lives and that is evident this morning. Lord, we praise and thank you for your word. Um, We pray that your spirit would work in us now um, and in our hearts and be with our pastor Paul as he as he brings your word and expounds expounds the passage today. Make us teachable. And in all things, may we become more like our Lord Jesus Christ. May our worship service today be glorifying to you. May your name be lifted up and exalted. And may all things be done for the glory and honor of your name. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to invite Andrew Brooks to do our scripture reading today. Thanks. Morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. Our passage today is Matthew 12, 1 to 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry 
and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had not known for what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how many more valuable is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to them, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, we are, you notice we had a new bulletin cover today. We're moving from chapter 11 into chapter 12. And we're moving from the heart of Jesus to opposition toward his heart, toward his kingdom. And that's what chapter 12 is really all about. And we will take uh, all the way through to the end of November to go through chapter 12. Uh, and so that's just so you know where we're heading before we get into a, a Christmas-themed uh, series uh, starting in December. That's, that's sort of where we're going at this point. Now, Jesus has already faced opposition, okay? It, it's, but it's really heightened here to levels uh, that, that are beyond what we've seen so far in the Gospel of Matthew because we have plans for first-degree murder, against our Lord. And these two accounts this morning that we're going to look at revolve around one issue, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was ordained by God after the six-day creation of the world as a day of rest. It's the fourth of the ten, of the ten commandments. Let me read it to you in Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Longest of the, of the Ten Commandments right there. And as, as the years went on, the, the Jews began to wonder, what, what constitutes work? 
And in order to make sure that they wouldn't unintentionally work, they created a list of rules that were to help them to stay away from possibly working on the Sabbath. These rules were like a, a fence put up near a cliff's edge in order not to get too close to the edge and fall off. And, and the farther back you put the fence and the taller you made the fence, the less likely of getting over it and falling. It doesn't sound like a bad idea, except it took away from the heart of the commandment by making rest a lot of work. I remember being in Jerusalem on the Sabbath, and all the elevators in that hotel, except for one, were programmed to automatically stop on every floor. And this was so you didn't have to push the button because the action of pushing the button was regarded as work. I remember getting in the elevator, the regular elevator, and someone coming up quickly before the doors closed asking, Shabbat? The, the, the Hebrew Sabbath? And, and when I said no, they quickly got in because they didn't want the Shabbat elevator because <laughs> they didn't want to stop on every floor. I couldn't blame them. The fourth commandment prohibits work with no definition because that's the way God wanted it. He graciously commands rest for his people without burdening them on worrying about what constitutes work. This we could fall into the same kind of trap, though, as Christians. The, the disciplines of the Christian life are important. Things like, things like a daily quiet time, prayer, scripture memory. But if our focus is purely on the disciplines and not the Lord himself, what those disciplines are actually pointing to, it can lead us to legalism. When we, when we begin to take great comfort and pride in our abilities to walk the Christian life, we are not far from forgetting the grace of God that saved us. Our outline revolves around three statements, one implied and two direct, of the superiority of Jesus. Jesus is greater than David, Jesus is greater than the temple, and Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. So let's start with that first point. Jesus is greater than David. We pick up the storyline with Jesus and his disciples out on a Sabbath afternoon stroll, perhaps within the thousand-yard permitted range that the fence allowed. Verse 1, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Now this seems harmless enough, doesn't it? The law actually permitted 
hungry travelers to pick and eat grain out of other people's fields or whatever else might be in there. So this isn't going against the law in that way. But somebody's watching this. Verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So they are equating the disciples plucking as harvesting, which is work. And perhaps also they're equating the rubbing of the grain in their hands in order to separate the the grain from the shaft as winnowing, which is work. Now that seems like a bit of a stretch, don't you think? Like the the disciples are not farmers trying to get in an illegal day of, of work here, right? Neither are they collecting the grain with a sickle, with, with big grain bags. Actually, the law actually uh, did allow that. But in the Pharisee's mind, this is outside the fence. The fence that they have constructed, that they've created. That word lawful in verse 2 is often replaced today in our, in our Christian circles with biblical in the same kind of a way, though. Using it not in reference to the Bible, but to our own preferences or to what maybe we've adhered to in the past, traditions. There's nothing wrong with preferences and traditions, but we must be careful not to elevate those preferences and traditions to the level of Scripture. Here's part one of Jesus' scriptural reply. Verse 3 and 4. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So this account, if you, if you want to make note of it, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David had been anointed king, but Saul is still on the throne and now trying to kill David. David ends up in a place called Nob with his men tired and weaponless. He asks the priest for bread and he says that he has none except the holy bread that was only to be eaten by the priests after it was replaced with fresh bread on the Sabbath, actually. Now, David makes up a story about being on an important mission for the king and convinces the priest to give him the bread. The, The point seems to be that the priest willingly gave David and his men the bread because the priest saw a need greater than the observance of this particular law. And further, David and his men suffered no divine consequences for their actions. 
So Jesus is challenging the rigidity of their interpretation of the law here. He's like, look, the priests like bent with this. They saw hungry men who needed bread, and so they gave it to them. Jesus is going to make this point later, but I'll make it now. Regulations were set aside for David and his men. How much more should they be set aside for Jesus and his disciples? Jesus, I believe, is also connecting himself with David's line, the messianic line. And what is interesting is the account of David that Jesus uses draws a parallel to himself at this point in time. Jesus is the anointed, unthroned king of God's people right now, just like David was. Because Saul's on the throne, not David. David's been anointed, but he's not enthroned. The Pharisees are on the throne right now, just like Saul. And just like Saul, they wanted to destroy the anointed one. The, the parallels here are uncanny. Let's, let's move on to our next point. Jesus is greater than the temple. The Pharisees don't have any response to Jesus' first question to them. I love how Jesus answers questions with questions. His, his statement, have you not read, is, is not really one of knowing, because the Pharisees would have known this story. It's one of interpret, interpretation. Right? It, they, they had certainly read this account, but they did not understand it, and therefore could not apply it. Jesus begins his next question with the same words. Or, have you not read... In verse 5, in the law, how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. So Jesus is trying to help them to see that on the Sabbath, the priests had to work by changing that bread of the presence, that holy bread that was mentioned in the account of David, and also offering the double burnt offering that was required on the Sabbath. They, they worked on the Sabbath, and the law established that. Then Jesus says in verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Just think what Jesus is saying here. The temple represents God's presence, so it is greater than the Sabbath, right? Because the priests were required to work in the temple on the Sabbath. Therefore, it supersedes the Sabbath. And Jesus says that he is greater than the temple. This is a divine claim right here. The only thing greater than the representation of God is God himself. Jesus is God. And this continues through the scriptures. Next, Jesus says in verse 7, And if you had known what this means, 
I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. His disciples he's talking about. And if you had not known, and if you had known, sorry, and if you had known, again, Jesus is challenging their interpretation of their Bible. And hence their view of God. This here is a quote from the Old Testament minor prophet Hosea. Chapter 6, verse 6 to be exact. And it's the second time in Matthew that Jesus quotes this, this particular phrase. The people of Israel during Hosea's time were cheating on God with other gods. And the priests were doing nothing to lead them out of this idolatry. Instead, they just continued offering the sacrifices to the Lord alongside other sacrifices being offered to foreign gods. So God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So here is what God is is getting at with that statement. I don't want your sacrifices, because you're just thinking about me like a god among the other gods who require continual offerings for appeasement. This means nothing because your heart is far from me. I, as your god, want to pour out mercy upon you. So stop and turn back to me so I can do that for you right now. That's what my heart's desire is. This, this, this idea goes perfectly with Jesus' description of his own heart that we looked at last week as gentle and accessible without a bar to measure up to or a load to bear, but only an invitation to come. Jesus said that if the Pharisees knew what this meant, they would not have condemned his disciples, the the guiltless. And they would not condemn others either. Others whom they've strapped their heavy yoke of requirements over as well. If they just remembered that God delights in showing mercy, they would have understood that the purpose of the Sabbath was for the refreshment of working people. It was a mercy instituted by a creator that knows we'll try to work more than we should instead of trusting in him and his ways. Mark's gospel records Jesus saying, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, that the Sabbath was instituted by God to meet the needs of the people and not for the people to try to meet the requirements of the Sabbath, which is what's going on in this whole scenario. 
But again, do you see the heart of God here? This is important because we naturally see God as as a stickler for the rules, waiting to put his thumb down on us when we break them. But that's not his heart. He is slow to anger. He must be provoked to wrath. But he desires mercy. What most naturally and easily flows out of the heart of God is mercy. Not punishment or retaliation or shaming, but mercy. Isn't that wonderful? If you have a view of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of God, right? one one who shows mercy one minute but requires perfection the next, you have the wrong picture. That's not his heart. Let this picture come into focus from Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Notice what's mentioned first, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, right? Love that's strong, it stands firm, and faithfulness that can't be broken. You know, as as God's image bearers, we're to be characterized by the same kind of thing. That's why Jesus was telling this to the Pharisees. As as the religious leaders, they should have been the most merciful people around. The same is true for us. Are, Are you holding on to something that is keeping you from showing mercy? Is it justice that you're holding on to? Is it hurt? Is it anger? Is it superiority? Whatever it is, if it's getting in the way of showing mercy where you can show mercy, it's getting in the way of God's plan for your life as an image bearer and ambassador of Christ. If you can, in the words of Elsa, let it go. And show mercy then you will gain a deeper understanding of the heart of God for you. You will not be the loser. You will be the ultimate winner. That's that's why the proverb tells us it's a glory. It's a glory to overlook an offense. Let's let's move to the final point. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The next statement is is crystal clear and and another statement of the deity of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is God. Verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath. 
So on another Sabbath day, and we know it's another Sabbath, not the same Sabbath from the grain fields, because that's what Luke's gospel details. Jesus proves that claim that he just made, that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. When into their synagogue, and the there is the Pharisees that confronted him in the grain fields, there was a man with a withered hand. So the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It's, it's, almost, it's almost like a, if, if you were to, if someone was, you know, severely bleeding and there was a doctor who wasn't on duty and, and you asked him, if you're not on duty, is it okay to, to help that guy? Matthew says they're setting him up. Jesus is so patient. He knows they're trying to set him up, but but he answers them. He answers them. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it, is law, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus turns now to a common sense argument. The question implies a positive response. Of course they would lift out that sheep. Jesus then goes on from a later, lesser to greater type argument. Why would you not do it for a person then? If Jesus is God, and God desires mercy, to not mercifully heal a man just because the timing is off because of the day of the week does not fit his heartbeat, does it? Jesus says it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, and it's because that reflects God's heart of mercy. Then to prove his claim as Lord of the Sabbath, he heals the man's hand. And instead of belief and faith from the Pharisees, we see resentment and anger. We see the opposite of God's heart, don't we? (laughs) Just consider the irony here as well. They're now plotting first-degree murder breaking the sixth commandment because they believe Jesus is breaking the fourth commandment. They they have this appearance of religion, but their heart is far from God. What can we take away from all this? I have a handful of things for you. First and foremost, is having a proper picture of the heart of God. Mercy and grace naturally flow out of his heart. 
most easily flow out of his heart. That's why the Bible says such phrases as, we've looked at some of them, but God is love. God is love. Not God loves, but God is love. It's, his, it's a defining characteristic of him. That's why mercy and grace can flow out of, him, out of him so easily. We have to reject those views that we've adopted that don't line up to this. Right? Of, of, the, of the hard-nosed God who's a stickler for the rules. But don't think this is just some mushy view of God, please. Because God is so loving that he disciplines those he loves to bring them back to where they need to be. And there will come a time, even though he's slow to anger, there will come a time when his wrath will have to come out as he is a God of justice as well. So, so don't wait on his mercy with your actions, but come to him. Turn from your ways and come to him. Second, we must be careful how we interpret the Bible. The Pharisees knew their Bible, but they interpreted it wrong. One error was their addition of their fence. They considered their fence as just as authoritative as their Bible. We must not add to the scriptures, and we must remember that the best interpreter of scripture is scripture itself. The Bible fits together and works together and gives all we need for life and godliness. Third, rules can be good, but not if they distract from the bigger picture. For example, if you're a parent with older children, you probably have a rule about your child being home at a certain time. And that's not bad. You have their safety in mind, their need for sleep. You want them up in the morning. But if they are so afraid of breaking that rule that they would not say stop to help a friend in need, then that rule is distracting from the bigger picture of doing good when the opportunity arises, doesn't it? So rules are good, but we have to be careful they don't distract us from the bigger picture. Fourth, because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and he alone opened the way to eternal rest for all who believe, we don't have to observe the Sabbath as it, as it once was. The day of rest pointed to the ultimate rest found in Jesus alone. And that's why we celebrate not the Sabbath, but the, but the Lord's Day, as it's referred to in the scriptures. The first day of the week, because that's the day that Jesus rose in victory over death. Showed us that all his claims were true. And gave us the first fruits of our resurrection. Fifth, 
the principle of rest is still good. And we would be foolish to ignore it. But rest should also include worship, which is why the Lord's Day is the best day to observe as, as that day, because it's the day we gather together and worship. But if you can't gather because maybe you're an essential worker or in the hospitality service, then you don't have to worry that you're committing some kind of a sin. Remember, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Your day of rest and worship can be another day. And finally, if you have never come to God through Jesus, who paid the sacrifice for your sins and rose from the dead, or if you're keeping God at arm's length because you feel like you've disappointed him, let him down, or not good enough, Abandon those thoughts and come to Jesus and find rest. Rest for your weary soul. Let us pray together. Father, thank you that We see this encounter with the Pharisees at the beginning of chapter 12. And Lord, guard us from just thinking we could never be like them. It is so easy to become Pharisaic. Protect us from that by your loving grace by your heart that is so transparent through the scriptures. Father, may we never take your mercy and grace for granted. It is truly lovely and the reason why we worship. We would be lost without it. May we live in that reality and may those who've never experienced it come to Jesus and find it and find rest. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.